0: You already know that Illegal Pete's makes delicious, mission-style Mexican food. But did you know that Illegal Pete's uses its marketing funds to support Colorado creative talent that we love? We support the Denver Diatribe Podcast, the Grawlix Comedy Showcase, Rocky Mountain Roller Girls, the Yellow Designs BMX Stunt Team, Apex Movement Parkour Team, the Underground Music
1: Showcase, and more.
0: We even have our own record label, The Greater Than Collective, with albums by The Epilogue, Snake Rattle, Rattle, Snake, Esme Patterson, Ian Cook, and comedian Ben Roy, and a starving artist program that feeds out-of-town bands traveling in Colorado for free. Illegal peace. We're more than just a restaurant. So let us put our food and music and comedy and sports inside you, please. please.
2: Denver, Denver, I'm from Denver, 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 I'm from Denver,
1: Denver, Denver, I'm from Denver. Hello and welcome to the Denver Diatribe, a weekly podcast of news, culture, and stuff as it pertains to Denver, Colorado soon to be the patent capital of the Rockies. I'm Vanessa Martinez. Joining me today are my co host and today's sound engineer and editor, Josh Johnson. Howdy, Josh. Good morning. And we welcome local writer and reporter, Caleb Hannon. Thanks for joining us, Caleb. Thanks, guys. Uh, This week, we're taking on drunk biking in Denver, joke-stealing online, and a pit bull killing in Commerce City before asking Caleb about the coming patent wars, Is Denver Prepared?, and the latest act in CU's football drama. So, Caleb, I was going to uh, start by welcoming you to Denver, but you actually got here eight months ago.
2: Yeah, but it it still feels new, So, but thank you for that. Yeah.
1: Um, So you recently uh, penned this feature for, well, you didn't recently pen it, but it it recently ran in Westward. Um, We're going to get to that later, um, but first, let's uh, get to know you a little bit. What brought you to Denver?
2: Sure. Um, The best answer to that is that my wife and I really just didn't like Seattle all that much. <laughs> uh, we, we liked the people. We liked the people we worked with and our friends, but um, we were just kind of miserable for 10 months out of the year because it doesn't th- – there's no sun. Uh, so, yeah, we moved here in April. Um, we both quit our jobs and just wanted something new
1: awesome and you were the uh editor of the Seattle Weekly which is westward managing editor Se- managing editor yes. Yes. okay yeah Second and editor in right yeah we all know the managing editor does all the work anyway it's, it's true. true
2: yeah <laughs> the editor is just a figurehead that's right Yes, totally. of
1: course <clears throat> um so Caleb, uh you you live in baker that's correct uh, have you in the last 8 months um have you identified or, or found a, any go-to bars or coffee shops, something that's kind of becoming your standby?
2: Yeah, um, it's it's based on laziness. It's Of course, they always are. Right, so I'm uh, two blocks away from this new place called Gary Lee's, uh, which is an awesome bar, and Skyline, uh, which is great. And there's a coffee shop near me called Bardo, or Bardo Coffee House. I don't even know the name. I just go there. <laughs> and so... <laughs> And, and I guess soon to be illegal Pete's next location. I will. I'm going to be a neighbor.
1: Yeah, so. we just talked to those guys downstairs, and their their location that's opening on Broadway is going to have a beer garden.
2: Yeah, and b- Bocce. Pretty,
1: yeah, and bocce, I'm excited. which is really you grow exciting. Beer. <sighs> you know, don't you grow beer, Josh? I thought you did. Um, so, uh, Caleb, I'm I'm curious. Do you bike?
2: Uh, or no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. What do you mean you don't bike? Uh yeah, and, um. <laughs> I, I did, like, I, we took our bike from Nashville to Seattle, and then Seattle is just all hills and all rain, and my wife is very anti-anything that might put me in danger, so it was pretty much nixed, and we sold, I sold the bike before I came here, oh. so no bike.
1: Well, um, that, might, that might be a good thing. I don't usually ask people in the first five minutes of do conversation. Do I lose cred? If-
2: I took the bus here. That no, cool?
1: that's great. I mean, okay. I, I, I'm I'm using it as actually as a, as a seg into oh, our first newsy bit. I didn't bit. Even realize that.
0: <laughs> that was that was a forced segue.
1: It totally was, but uh, I I don't bike either, so this okay. isn't going to impact me very much. I do, however, bike when I'm drunk, uh. so um, which takes us to our first newsy bit. In response to a recent citizen complaint, the Denver Police Department has announced that it will begin citing drunk bicyclists. With DUI, which is uh, state law, of course, this is causing a stir in some of the bicycling community, um, namely for people who participate in the Denver Cruiser ride, which is basically a bar crawl yeah, they're uh, all on drunk. bike yeah um, and and honestly, for me, I think it's a little bit uh, disconcerting as well, because as I said, I, I ride my bike. Um, I, I choose to ride my bike often when I know I'm going to be drinking, so it's better than getting behind you know the wheel of a car. Um, Westward is covering this news and interviewed a researcher with BicycleLaw.com, a law firm that represents cyclists, uh, which claims that drunk cyclists are only a harm to themselves, not others.
0: Yeah, because you're not. I mean, you could hit a car. You could. You're not unless it's a pedestrian. You run down a pedestrian, but still, it's not going to be that bad of a, you know, injury. You want to test that? Yeah. Well, you know.
1: I'm, you, well, I was going to throw this to you. How do you feel about the news, Josh? Cause I think you... it
0: sucks. I think it entirely sucks. You know, and I don't think that it should be... I mean, it, it, would it... Are they going to go out and look for people, drunk biking? If something happens and you're, and you're you know, responsible for injuring
2: somebody, then, then address
0: it.
1: I tend to agree. What about you, Caleb, as a non-biker? Yeah, I mean,
2: yeah, and I think if you talk to cops, they'd probably roll their eyes at this too. You observe the the spirit of the law, not the letter. And it's great that some... Colorado police officer went and actually studied the law book and found that, you know, they weren't doing what they were supposed to, but whether that means they're actually going to enforce it. I mean, I've never been in one of these cruiser rides, obviously, because I don't have a bike, but if cops start hanging out outside of it, that that sucks. Yeah. They're already
0: there. But what are they doing there? Just, you know, nothing usually. Keeping the peace. Yeah, keeping the peace. It's like if something happens, then they respond. Because you guys are all filled with
2: aggression and... Well,
1: you know, that's the other thing when you're biking. I mean, one of the reasons that, uh, that I bike when I drink or, or, or choose to is because it, it really, you're, you're biking off some, some energy there. And so by the time you get home, often you're sober.
2: (laughs) I haven't heard this argument. Yet. <laughs> yeah, I like it though. It's not. Maybe no it's way. because well, I'm writing too far. So, or just so we're not all in agreement, I will say that <laughs> I, I did read this article, and I don't know Brad Evans, the guy who runs Denver Cruiser rides. Uh-huh. I'm sure he's a beloved figure if he started this thing. Um, on this issue, I think he's totally full of shit uh, because he said that it was actually going to encourage drunk driving. And I know if you're an advocate for one thing, it's your right and God-given duty to demonize the other thing that you don't want to happen. But if you're coherent enough to know that you probably shouldn't bike drunk, you're not stupid enough to then reach for your car keys. Like, that, there's a gradient. And if you're, if you're that smart, you're not going to just suddenly, like, hop in your and car. I, I and I, I agree with that
0: argument as well. But it definitely, you know, diminishes the, the uh, ability to say that biking is a drunk driving alternative. You know, where it's like, all right, I'm going to go out and get drunk tonight. Let's ride bikes. Right. Now it's, you know, you can't say that. Right, Because there's, there's the risk of...
1: Well, there, it's not like that's the only other alternative. And, and this is where I come in. I, I do see the point a little bit. I, I don't think that the punishment, the consequence, should be a DUI. I mean, we're talking right. about...
2: It should be an RUI.
1: It should be a BUI. And there's, you know... Riding. Oh, okay. <laughs> Riding I it was running, the, like running, like
2: running. You yeah. get off your bike and start right. spreading.
0: I mean, if you're, all right, if you're misbehaving and you're drunk walking... Sure. You could get public intoxication. Yeah, there's, there's
2: already laws. Right. right. There's public deal with
0: intoxication. It. You're technically legally not allowed to be
2: drunk in and, public. And is this is DOI like like as serious a DUI as when you're driving? Like you lose your license, have to go to classes and pay fines, DUI. Well,
1: That's the thing. Yeah, um some states, Oregon, it is that it is that, oh, it God, is that case. Oregon. <laughs> so, <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> Um, but it, it's not clear, at least from the articles that I read, uh, what that is going to be exactly. Right. I we don't have a
2: test case yet, right? No. Uh, okay.
1: I, I, actually, I don't know that there have been BUI arrests in Boulder and I know people in Fort Collins who've gotten BUIs, but campuses tend to have their own laws around this. So they issue bicycling under the influence tickets rather than DUIs for are, the students. These are just tickets? There, there are tickets and fines. There's okay. usually not jail
2: time, right? N-
1: not yeah. unless you are doing, you've done something really terrible. In Boulder, right. a guy ran a red ran a red light while he was drunk, hit a car, and um, on his, and his bike, hurt on his himself, bike. Himself, right? He didn't. Yeah. I don't <laughs> like, <he> didn't. again. <laughs> he like did that poor himself. car,
2: you know. It
0: just I don't know. <laughs> it's
1: not going to be able to the, handle this it. This
0: citizen that that lodged the complaint as well, you know his story.
1: No, mm. he was
0: on his scooter drunk. And a bicyclist, who was also drunk, hit him. And he's like, well, how come I get a DUI when I'm riding my scooter? Well, you can go 45 miles an hour on a scooter.
2: Mm. I mean, there's the potential to really, like, you can run somebody down. And they're incredibly
1: dangerous. How, look yeah. at the accident rate on well, a scooter. Right.
2: There should be an equation. Like, you take into account the heft of the vehicle times the speed or whatever that you can actually max out on. Yeah, and then right. that equals your penalty. Like, right. big-ass truck. You know, four tons planes. planes. There's a yeah, there's a movie about that. Is there? A yeah, topical. Pi- well,
0: there was. Remember when they came? Uh, it came out that a lot of the pilots were yeah. But Den- Denzel,
2: flight. you know how he flips the plane, oh. right? He does that <laughs> when he's like drunk and high. Yeah, it's supposed so to be a great movie. It's a tearjerker. Oh, I,
1: well, I think you know the biggest the biggest issue here, and and Josh, you mentioned it. And we well, we all have is is there going to be some kind of profiling that goes on with this just because you're on a bike? Um, and that's the thing that can, that really concerns me. If the you're most. wearing
2: a bandana around your neck, are you instantly <laughs> a criminal? Like in New Jersey,
0: if you're riding a bike, you just assume that the person has a DUI. <laughs>
1: Because (laughs) Because there's no (laughs) other reason to No other reason. You think,
0: like, it's New Jersey bikes are for kids. I think it's
2: kind of like that.
1: No,
0: Cleveland's the same way. Yeah, there's no reason otherwise to
2: to go biking.
0: No, you have a DUI.
1: Well, I'm going to take the newsy bits uh, for a dark turn and uh, take a look at Commerce City on Saturday where police responded to a call of a dog on the loose by um, tasing it and then shooting it and killing it. Uh, their actions were caught on a cell phone cam. The dog, however, was not threatening the neighbor who reported it to police, nor was it apparently threatening other people. It was simply roaming loose around the neighborhood, um, and it happened to be a pit bull. Now, Next. Commerce City, as Diatribe co-host Jared J. King Mayer has reported for feature articles in the past, is one of a handful of cities in the state with a breed ban on pit bulls. Um, Denver and Aurora also have bans. So it's kind of hard not to see this as breed discrimination, at least until we get more information, you know, from the police, if we do at all. Um, But what do you guys uh, what do you guys think? Is this is this something that you think maybe the cops responded to the way they did, which was obviously atrociously um, because it was a pit bull?
0: Sure. I mean, pit bulls, people are afraid of them. And the the thing about this, you watch watch the video, you know, those stick
2: leash things. Do you watched the mm-hmm.
1: video?
0: I watched I it. Couldn't, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't do it. Either. I did it. I watched it. And they had the dog on one of those stick leash things. So it's not like the dog he was. He was already restrained. Yes, yeah, so yeah. the dog was restrained. And and really, why didn't they call animal control? Who okay, knows so how to handle these things instead of the cops?
1: Animal control was there. They did come, and that's who had the um, the collar. Where were they
2: after the shooting started?
1: They were there. Apparently, it was a a, a female um, uh, animal control officer who uh, came who arrived at the scene, and she apparently, according to the the nine news story, was clearly distraught when the police shot responded by shooting the dog
2: like five times yeah i mean it's not her fault when you know if you're anim- if you're an animal control officer like everyone else you probably recognize the authority of a cop over you it'd be nice if she had like put her foot down and say this is what i do for a living but yeah i wouldn't blame her if a cop pulls out a gun for not like jumping in front of an animal
1: right or three cops which is what was the case why, right. why three cops were were necessary to this situation so
2: Oh, sorry. Go ahead. The the thing that I wrote down – I don't know if you guys follow this guy on Twitter. There's a reporter by the name of Radley Balco, who used to write for Reason Magazine, now writes for Huffington Post. He's basically like the chronicler of all the terrible things that happen when when cops pull their guns out. Um, But he wrote an article in April. um, There's there's no database that that tracks dog shootings nationwide. Hmm. But in the span of a year, he'd found over 100 just based on news reports. Uh, it 's gotten so routine that he 's even come up with a very depressing hashtag for it every time there 's a new story it 's hashtag puppy side uh, so this this isn 't new by any means but the the thing that he sort of like looked at specifically is after these shootings, what kind of training program do cops have in these cities for dealing with dogs and in april he he went and called, like, all of these places that had recently had shootings that said, you know, have you trained your officers at all? Is there anything that's mandatory already that they just didn't follow protocol? Not a single one of them had trained for or had instituted it after. Um, that's all horrible news. Uh, the, the good news that happened, like, two days ago is that two cities in Texas, um, and not small cities, Fort Worth and Arlington, both announced that they were going to start mandatory training. Uh, for their officers, I think the one in Fort Worth is an eight-hour course mm. on how to deal with dogs, and
1: um, and this is for the police officers.
2: This is for the police. So, some enterprising journalist who's not me should call Commerce City and you know see a if they have anything on the books right now, and b if they're going to change their policies at all. Because right. I mean, the you know apparently this pit bull was restrained and horrible and it should have never happened i mean this is is a recurring theme i I wrote down the list of dog breeds that had been shot and killed uh chihuahuas miniature dachshund jack russell puppies uh and in various stages of restraint either chained tied or leashed i mean they're not all like that but these are just some of the cases that he'd found so there's clearly an issue and you could tie it to some larger thing about the increasing militarization of police and how willing they are to do no-knock raids and all this other stuff. Um, God, you could even tie this back to the drug war if you wanted to. But this willingness to just, like, pull out your gun and use it or your taser on some small animal that may or may not be causing you harm. um, At least there's, like, some bit of good news recently because – as this case shows, it all seems to be bad for the past couple of years. Yeah. That's
1: just terrible. And, and I actually, from a, a personal responsibility um, perspective, I think we've just, it, it kind of exhibits how we've gone too far. Everybody I believe knows that animal control is available. Why would you call the cops instead of calling animal patrol, animal control in this situation? Um, and, and not just here. I mean, God, I was, you know, our neighbors where we are right now decided to call the cops because our car was parked just like an inch into the yellow zone. It's like people like, why don't you just come and knock on the door You're if it psychopath. bothers you that much? You yeah. know, it's like, why is why are police uh, the default? Why are they the or or the first people that we go to when it's not necessary? Why do people think, call 911 think, when it's not an emergency?
0: Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, not, I think the guy that, that made the calls is an idiot, frankly, I saw him interviewed and. And uh, but but still, I think that when you have, if you were to have a dog outside that was barking, your first thing would be to call nine one one. They figure out who best to send.
1: See, I guess you I. You know, think I mean, it's I really, it's not.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, I I don't know. They they send ambulances, fire department. You know, My call nine one one if there's an, a a perceived emergency, and a dog outside. Yeah, barking I mean, could be perceived if you small children and such. Who knows? It seems like I we're mean, all
2: dog people, so we're not. Right. A, we're approaching this from a certain perspective. I have sympathy for the people who see a loose pit bull and freak out a little bit because you have a right to freak out. It's sure. not the breed; it's the owners. But right. those asshole owners buy pit bulls and chain That's them right. up and teach and them. And it to was an aggressive. unfamiliar dog
0: that was. Right. It was staying with a neighbor.
1: Sure, I get that. I guess it's and this is a personal thing. I just I do I don't wanna have cops. You're just in the still area. mad at your neighbors. I don't wanna yeah, I don't wanna have cops. No. You know, that's no. like my last resort. If I right. if I hear a woman screaming or I see somebody being assaulted, of course I'm gonna call the cops. Sure. But I'm not gonna call the cops uh, as, as a matter of, you know, being afraid of something. I'm gonna try and find another another a way around it if I can. But no, that's
2: that's just me. yeah, it's still their responsibility though. If you if you are tasked with owning a gun and protecting people with it you you don't pull that gun out on a dog that's restrained like that's that's (laughs) their ultimate responsibility lies with them and beyond them lies with their bosses to make sure you know it sounds easy to us to think here's your 30 second course don't shoot dogs yeah i mean if
0: there's a bear in a tree they dart it and relocate it exactly (laughs) you know like why didn't they dart the the dog in their
2: defense bears are terrified of us that's why they're in that tree yeah but (laughs) it's not like a pit bull scampers up an oak tree when it (laughs) sees people like
1: but that is a good example of you know do people usually call would that guy have called the police if there was a bear in the name probably yeah i I mean if that guy's an idiot
2: he might have called the police if there was a squirrel right so yeah Right. So that squirrel in the street. Let's not use him as baseline. Yeah.
1: Well. Okay. Let's let's move on to it to the next newsy bit. Um, an out of writer, an out of work writer in Boulder thinks he's poised for a comeback after a movie blurb he wrote more than ten years ago was recently unearthed by Jay Leno and made some decent rounds on the social networks thanks to some star power by the likes of Jack Black and the dude who played Sulu in the original Star Trek.
0: Who's influential <laughs> the on the internet? He's great. Out and proud. too. Yeah.
1: The problem is the writer, this bolder guy, uh, Rick Polito is his name, isn't properly credited for the movie blurb, um, which in its reincarnation is being referred to as a joke. Um, and it's one of many blurbs he wrote for a column that was briefly syndicated before it flamed out. The joke in question is an alternative take on The Wizard of Oz. Um and and I'm gonna read it. Transported to a surreal landscape, a young girl kills the first person she meets, and then teams up with three strangers to kill again.
0: It's a good joke. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> yeah.
1: So he's got, you know, he he wants some credit for this. What do you guys, as writers, you guys both know? Do you think uh, do you think this is a good? The Daily Camera is a good place for him to look for for some credit.
0: Maybe I don't know. I can see why why he would want credit for it, but it's kind of these things get lost, don't they? I mean, especially after so long and when it goes viral, it really becomes property of the internets.
2: Right, and and that story kind of veers into, like, this guy's just a sad sack. Like, it it goes to, he moved to Boulder with his wife, and then he got a divorce and lost his (laughs) kids. And you're like, oh my god, I feel so bad for this guy. But, right, it's a joke, and his thing now is like...
0: It's one joke, too. Right. It's not like, you know, he wrote an, an essay and... And they like
2: pulled out sections of it. Well and, and he seems to I don't know. I don't wanna I don't wanna put words in, in his mouth, but he, it it sounds like he seems to think that well if he'd been properly credited then someone's like knocking down his door to give him a job and yeah. the guy who got credit, this guy Lee Winfrey or whatever, I don't know what he does now, is he being inundated with job offers yeah, because right. of this one joke? I mean it's it's like, the internet taketh away, but it also giveth, like, if he was really good and really funny, he'd have started a blog five years ago to tell all these funny jokes, and he would have been <laughs> hired on the strength of that. Like, you don't just sit around and wait for someone to give you a column
1: because you made that
2: one, one joke. Right. right.
1: Or go to the Daily Camera. I mean, that was, you're right. It's like, is this the best the best uh, outlet to tell I this mean, story? It was daily Camera,
0: but- it's, a, da- it's, it's a, a daily, it's daily paper in Boulder. And Boulder or the daily. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's the okay.
1: daily paper in Boulder. So you could see this as being like, you know, if, if some kind of like talk of the town writer, even Westward would have written about, it. you know, you might've gotten something that was a little bit more colorful, but yeah, you're right. The way that it sounds, it's just like, God, I feel really sorry for this guy. And he seems a little bit pathetic.
2: Late. Yeah. yeah. Is he, is he <laughs> pitching Westward? Like as a freelance writer, whose job depends <laughs> right. on like, like selling every single day, like no sympathy, like none whatsoever. Unless yeah. you're listening, in which case it was a good joke. Yeah, Rick. Good I mean, luck. How many times do you hear jokes? I mean, jokes are meant
0: to be repeated, and you take credit for them. You know, like that's what jokes are—they're they're word of mouthy, and and, and this. Is new this the Carlos Mencia quote.
2: argument? The, like, I don't know. <laughs>
0: I mean, but imagine if like the person that wrote such and such knock knock joke, and I'm going around telling it because it's funny. Like if I—if you had to tag on their... <laughs> You know, this well, knock this knock originally joke originally, well, hey, like. originally came from you know so and so.
1: This knock knock joke by Josh Johnson. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> I mean, if we want to seg, we could patent those jokes. So. <laughs> there, <laughs> you yeah, yeah. there you go. There you go. we segwaying there. there. Okay, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. We will. let we'll get we'll there. Get there but t- but let, let's wrap up the newsy bits. Uh, listeners, tell us what you think about this week's headlines. Share something for us to talk about next week, or rant about anything Denver-related. In the comments at DenverDiatribe.com, on Facebook or Twitter at DenverDiatribe, or by voice message at 720-282-YELL. Um, we're going to go from there into, before we get to patents, um, because we have Caleb in house with us this week. Um, I'm going to take advantage of our lack of sports knowledge and rely on him to uh, Josh hopefully- does know
2: what a hoop is. <laughs> I know Everybody should know is. that. He knows what a hoop is.
1: To give us some insight into uh, the big, I mean, the most headlines this week by far are coming out of CU. Uh, CU football ended its season Saturday with a nasty 11-1 record for the season. The school fired its third football coach in six years, John Embry. Um, and uh, as I just said, you know, the diatribe. We we kind of leave these things to to some other podcasts in our in our city uh, it's who deals. On uh, well, you might want to. Yeah, you, we'll, we'll, okay. we'll send you over to uh, South Stands after this.
2: South Stands, it's good. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. I'll go there. Yeah. Shout
1: out to South Stands. We'll, we're sending, uh, we're sending Caleb to you next. Um, and even though I don't enjoy it, I, I, I you know, I, it, it's not that I don't enjoy it. I don't watch Buffs football. I'm, oh, I thought I'm you meant Ram. the
2: podcast. I was like, that's a really
1: oh, <laughs> backhanded compliment. You're right? No, God, sorry, guys. <laughs> not
0: that I enjoy it. <laughs>
1: So it's it's clear there's a coaching dilemma here. Um, CU's had you know they've in 2005 dispensed with Gary Burnett, Dan Hawkins, who there was a lot of hoopla around, uh, was fired in 2010 with three games left to play in the season, and now Embry, Um, Caleb, from the perspective of a sports fan who's fairly recent to Colorado, what is what's your take on this?
2: Yeah, I actually – I didn't know I had a take until I started looking into it, and I think I might write something about it uh, hopefully tomorrow for this website called Grantland. Um, pitch them on that today because it's – well, first of all, it's fascinating. Like Even if you don't like sports, it's just great theater because we've got race and we've got, like, a public institution screwing up. And, you know, it's just – it's fun for an outsider. Um, so the, the basic gist is that John Embry – uh, who I think was a former, he was a CU grad. I think yeah. he played here. he mm-hmm.
1: played at CU under uh, Bill McCartney.
2: Under Bill McCartney, yep. who was also a defender of his. Yes. Okay, I didn't know that. Nah, nah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I learned that together. from my husband, actually. Excellent. <laughs> um, so John Embry gets two years, goes, I think, 4-21, including 1-11 this year, the first year in 90 years that Colorado has not won a home game. Uh, and I think the state is, what, 100 years old? So it's pretty much, like, the first time ever. Uh, he gets fired last Sunday, has this incredibly emotional press conference where I don't think it was there that he first brought this up, first played the race card. I think it was later. Um, I think the press conference was, like, him holding back tears and, like, just talking about how much he loved his players and his players were giving him huge hugs afterwards. I mean, just... As far as, like, TV goes, like, that's not what you usually get. It was amazing. Um, however, however, so uh, there's a lot of people are sympathetic towards Embry because of this. He, he got his kids' grades up. He, they loved him like a father, all that. But he basically implied that if he hadn't been black, he would have gotten another year. And this was the reason why he was fired. Uh, so when I first read that, I just, I wrote down a list of, names here, and and bear with me. Uh, David Shaw at Stanford, James Franklin at Vanderbilt, Charlie Strong at Louisville, Kevin Sumlin at Texas A&M. So the thing that connects all those guys, they're all black, they're all head coaches in college football, and it would not be a shock if any one of them won coach of the year honors. Uh, They are not only going to stay at their schools, they might get poached by bigger schools, and if they're smart, they're talking to their agent right now about negotiating a enormous contract extension at the end of the year and what connects all those guys is they're winning um john Embry lost at home to sacramento state now have you guys ever heard of sacramento state right so this wasn't like a conference rival this was at home the second game at home is where you you know you schedule the powder puffs the team that's going to make you feel good about yourself going on into the harder part of your schedule and that team beats you um that's so he sucked. That's disgraceful. Yeah, I he mean, it, the argument from his side is, well, two years in, a lot of coaches have sucked, and then in that third year, we might turn it around, mm-hmm. which is possible. But if you're an athletic director who's already hired a coach who sucks and your job is on the line, then you have to do something.
0: Yeah. So They also um, gave him a million and a half. What, to go away? To go away. Well, the buyouts. They, yeah, the buyout That's, that you know, the, his contract. Like, so, that,
1: which they know. had to do with Hawkins as well. Yeah, are the they still one. paying Hawkins?
2: They may be. They're, I mean, there are universities out there that are like playing, paying three coaches right now because <laughs> you just get these ridiculous, like, 10 year yeah. extensions. Everybody knows you're not going to do it.
1: So that's not uncommon.
2: No, no, $1.5 million for a buyout, that's like pocket change. Like, that's cheap. I mean, obviously, Jesus. if you're a taxpayer, you still get rightfully pissed off. But as a sports fan, you go, oh, they got off lucky. Like, yeah. Good for them. He's definitely,
0: you know, got some time and finances to figure out what's next for them
2: yeah yeah so okay but the 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 like the icing on the cake is that um so there's this group called the black uh, coaches association which as you might imagine advocate for more black coaches in college football Mm -hmm. and i'll preface this all by saying like most administrators most ad's around the country are white and i think it'd be naive of any of us to say like that white guys probably have an upper hand you know they've been in coaching longer. Um, That's slowly changing, but that takes a really long time. But the Black Coaches Association, who would scream bloody murder if they saw any problem with this, this is a quote from their head. Um, He said, you know, I think it all comes down to that Sacramento state loss at home. Quote, what can you say about that? So like like the guys who are, I I don't know who pays dues to the Black Coaches Association, but the guys who should be advocating for Embry are basically saying like, yeah, I kind of got what he deserved. Um, but that, as you said, that hasn't stopped people like his mentor, what was his name? Bill McCartney. Bill McCartney from coming out and saying he didn't get that extra year because he was black and, you know, that's, that's like throwing a bomb in the middle of the room. Uh, and in in this case, I just don't, I don't see it at all. So.
1: Yeah. I, I I guess I'm curious because. Where does CU go from here? I mean, if if you have this bad of a record, does it is it possible? Like, and I'm not talking about the winning record. I'm talking mm-hmm. about the hiring record mm-hmm. of the athletic director at this point. Is it something that, I mean, are are, are really, any, are any good coaches going to look at CU and say, oh, that that's a situation I want to go into?
2: The first response would be no, <laughs> like no, 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 because uh, also what Embry did on his way out was start like giving detailed specifics about how shitty uh, CU's facilities were, which is, like, really bad news. (laughs) (laughs) Like what? Like the locker stink? No, he (laughs) said, and I I haven't seen anyone, like, from the post or anyone verify this, he told people that CU was making him pay for water. He and his coaches, he said, were paying for water for the team up until, like, the ninth game of the season. I mean, that's just... Like so far out of left field, someone has to track that down. They have to see if that's true. So anyway, Guy obviously getting kicked out the door is sort of tearing the place down. That's going to look unattractive. However, this is Colorado. You guys are in the Pac-12. You have a conference with an enormous TV contract. You guys are getting like $13 million more than you were in the Big 12. That means you can pay a guy. Uh, The other reason not to despair is that you might give a job to this guy, I think his name's Bob Stitz, at uh, Colorado School of Mines who's made this Division II school like the most exciting offense in the country. Hmm. Uh, and this is how, like, great coaches get discovered. They bubble up. So, you know, if you – I don't know. Your AD looks kind of dumb the past two times, but there's always a chance that he could turn that around. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not supposed to say that, anyway. Um but yeah, I, I shoot, I'm not a Buffs fan, so I I don't really care. I just I'm just excited by how how much drama there is. Yeah. If that yeah. could continue I'm actually rooting for less like continuity and, and more, more drama. More firings. Yeah. That's yeah. fun.
1: Yeah, I so. think I'm, i I like the idea of, of a reporter going in. I, that was gonna be one of my questions. If you were if you were an investigative sports reporter on this but you would go in and, and look at those facilities. I think that's a really that
2: Well some people have – I mean I'm you know, I don't read the posts every day, but, like, all the information I'm getting are from national beat writers who are tweeting about this. So uh, someone will, I'm guessing. Someone will do that story because it's, it's too delicious, you yeah. know, when something falls apart, not to go back in and sort of trace how apart. it did. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and just to wrap this up, I have one more question for you. Do you... Do you are, are there any local, local sports teams that you are excited about being... Uh, <laughs> In Denver to watch and to to root for? Uh,
2: (laughs) Say the Rapids. I'm excited that the Rockies are a conference rival with the Giants, who are my favorite team, so I get to see them. (laughs) 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 That that is the most lukewarm answer I can provide. No,
1: that's okay. Thank you for humoring my very. um... But
2: that's true. In Seattle, I just had to deal with the Mariners, and they're even worse. And I don't even. Than the
1: Rockies? Yeah,
2: yeah, mm-hmm. they've been worse for longer. You at least have, like, sniffed the playoffs, so. We went to the World Series. You did go to the World Series. What am I even saying? Yeah, yeah, you did better than that. So, wait, is, is baseball your sport? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. Okay. I like baseball. He knows what a hoop is, and he likes baseball. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> There's hope for him, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right, so we're going to take a short break to hear some local music from Monroe Monroe. We'll be right back. Next Wednesday, uh, 9 p.m. It is free and uh, all ages. So, guys, we're going to get to our main topic for the day, which is why we invited Caleb to the show. Uh, Caleb, in actually, what was the date that this came out?
2: Let's flip to the front. Uh, oh, let me flip
1: some more. <clears throat> we're looking at it. November copy. 8th. So, the November 8th cover of uh, Westward is headlined The New Cold War. Colorado will soon be on the front lines of the costliest battle in the high tech world. Um, this story is the is the feature that I've been saying Caleb wrote. And Caleb on this day, November eighth, um, there was some, some big news for Apple regarding um, patents and we're gonna get into this story through that anecdote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, what's the what's
0: gonna... the overview? What's of the of the the Cold
2: War? Nicole, I mean, uh, I read the, the story, getting... but just sort of, yeah. you know. So the, the, the anecdote is the, the day it came out. And, and this is just sort of a way of, you know, when, when I told people I was writing about patents, my first jokey response was, you know, uh, please don't close your eyes because it sounds incredibly boring. Um, it turns out that it's not. And, and one way in which you can sort of tell this to people who otherwise wouldn't care is the day that this story came out. Apple had been trying for years – Apple, a company we all love, I'm sure – had been trying for years to patent a rectangle with rounded corners. That's it. So uh, your average iPhone or iPad, that simple design, which you wouldn't think should be protected by the full weight of patent law in America, now is. Mm. Uh, so the, the whole story is a, just about the complete absurdity Of the world of patents, especially the world of patents when it comes to smartphones and technology and all the stuff that we use every day, and to highlight that absurdity, I don't don't think I could have had any better timing than Apple getting that. And then, as I told you, a couple days later, Apple got the finally got the patent for the page swipe, uh, where you move your finger across the phone, and it looks like a. Page of a book is turning. Right. Again, something that you would think is just oh, it's like a cool little feature. No, now protected, um, and protected by a company that has more money than anyone in the world. So, um, yeah, which makes remi- it which
1: makes it very difficult for smaller. Smaller companies to come in, I want to backtrack just a, a, a little bit here we We talked about this on a show a while ago, but the reason that um, this feature uh, westward featured this um, story on the cover is because denver is is soon to be the home of the patent office uh, of a patent office satellite office yes um and this is the first time that the u.s patent office is going to have satellites outside of washington dc is that correct
2: that is correct this is this won't technically be the first one and there's a small backstory as to why denver didn't get that and maybe why they should have it when it opens it'll either be the second or third depending on who gets it open first but yes in the previous 200 years of history of the patent office it had been only located in alexandria virginia hadn't gone anywhere else for very um, you know, basic reasons, and now there's one open in Detroit, and as of 2014, will be open in Denver.
1: Mm-hmm. So, the, and, and this is something that, uh, that Denver, it's the headline, it, it's big news, and it's obviously something that I think is going to create uh, a, a pretty regular beat, if not, um, at, at least it's going to be in the wheelhouse of a lot of business reporters around here. Um, so it's something that I anticipate we'll be, you know, talking about a lot. But for the sake of Denver, um, I think one of the things that's so, that's catching most people's attention, as you said, you know, sometimes the word patent, it's like, well, this might not be so, you know, juicy, but people are saying, oh, well, this is going to bring a lot of, um, business to the area. This is, uh, going to really amp up our, our startup communities and, and give us a lot of, um you know, and really put us on the map this way. Uh, but the story that you tell here is really, you know, when we talk about this war, uh, the war metaphor, the Cold War metaphor, is comes from this proliferation of patents. And it's not just people uh, or inventors going, uh, you know, down to, as I said before, the patent shop to get a patent. There's, <laughs> um, they're they're using them as, as weapons. Tell us a little bit about how they're used as weapons.
2: Sure. So, um if you don't mind, I think this is a good place to talk about just where the story came from, and that mm-hmm. kind of helps explain it. So, uh, as I said before, my wife and I lived in Seattle for about three years, and I was an editor there. And obviously, it was my job to keep up on the news, and I just kept hearing about this company called Intellectual Ventures. Uh, it's short for, or it shortened with IV. So, IV is this company that was. Started by this man named Nathan Mirvold, who is so interesting that Malcolm Gladwell devoted about 10,000 words to him in The New Yorker. Uh, I mean, Nathan Mirvold is like the geek Indiana Jones. He does like, month-long expeditions to Montana to dig up dinosaur bones and at the same time is a billionaire from his time at Microsoft. He's, he's fascinating. He's brilliant. He is also a harbinger of things to come in this world. And the reason why is when he left Microsoft about 10 years ago, he got a bunch of very rich people and companies to give him billions of dollars to go out and acquire patents. Now, his spin on this was he was going to create a new market, a new market for innovation. Inventors suddenly had this new way not to get screwed over and to make money. He said it was going to be a market like the way Microsoft created a market for software. So there's this guy, Seattle's split by lakes. I'm on one side. He's on this other side with this big factory and every couple months some journalist goes in there and is just wowed by what's in there okay because it's nathan mirvold he's got all these amazing futuristic sounding projects like a uh, laser that kills mosquitoes that have uh, disease he holds these round tables with these brilliant minds like bill gates and steve ford or who am I even thinking of? Paul Allen, excuse me, where they sit around a table. Malcolm Gladwell got to watch this, where they sit around a table and just throw out amazing futuristic ideas and then say, can we patent that? I mean, for a writer, you know, you understand why this is this is catnip. <laughs> this, is, this is an incredible thing. But it's, you know, the closest analogy for him is this Wizard of Oz, because while he's saying – this is what we're doing. Behind the curtain, what they're really doing is buying up all these patents and setting up all these shell companies, over 1,500 at last count, and going to these large companies, let's let's say a Samsung, and saying like, you get around a, a boardroom table like this, Nathan Miravolt on one side, representatives of Samsung on the other side, and they say, listen, we've got this stack of patents. We don't even know what's in them, but we know they probably have something to do with the, the work that you do. And instead of going to court with us, which is going to cost you millions of dollars and years of your time, you can just pay us a licensing fee. Now, if you've got a if – if you like Nathan Mirvold, he's just a brilliant businessman. If you don't like him and don't believe in what he's doing, um, he's like the mob. He's basically blackmailing yeah. you. Yeah. It's extortion. And so the name for people like Nathan Mirvold are patent trolls. So I'm in Seattle, and all of this crazy stuff is happening just across the lake, and I don't know how to write about it. I know that occasionally there are some, you know, unflattering profiles, but most of them are just some dude going in his warehouse and going, this is awesome. <laughs> so it, it caught my attention there. And um, literally in transit from uh, Seattle to Denver, I figured out how I could write about this. And um, I forget where the question started. <laughs> I hope I got there. No, I well, hope I got there the answer. But, uh, but Nathan Mirvold is not, he's not the cause. He's more a symptom of a larger problem in these industries, um, with patents. Um, so he was just the first guy who was like, I gotta, I gotta look more into this. Yeah.
1: Well, this has really, uh, created a, 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 a thriving or it's, it's helped proliferate the amount of, of, uh, lawyers, IP lawyers around these issues. And I'm, I'm, I started to think when I was reading your story, I'm like, is this going to really bring as much, uh, Tech innovation to this area is it is going to bring uh, more lawyers to Denver, or I mean, it just it starts to it really starts to get scary in that I start to wonder is this is this really doing something for innovation, or or is it is it uh, discouraging people? This fact that you know you you might be building or creating something that somebody already has a patent for, and it's just going to destroy right. your your confidence, your idea, your business.
2: Well, if you're worried about Denver, don't worry about Denver. I got off the phone with one IP attorney here, and I basically, at the end of the conversation, was like, I should probably buy a home now, shouldn't I? He was like, yeah, it'd be a good idea, because this is just going to you know, bring a lot of great jobs, and people will make a lot of money here. Um, innovation, yeah, you're right. Boulder is the second biggest startup scene in America, outside of Silicon Valley, and that's happened without a patent office being here. Sure. So if you just look anecdotally at that sort of evidence... You're absolutely right to bring up those questions. Is it going to help innovation? I have no idea. But there are a lot of people who don't think the patent system at large does, and actually stifles it. Um, so, in uh,
0: in, the, in this month's issue of Wired, they mm-hmm. have a Q and A with uh, James. Is it James Dyson?
2: Yeah, the guy who created the vacuum. Yeah, product.
0: right. Who's probably you know the um, at least from a consumer product standpoint, like the big inventor these days. And they brought up patents and do patents inhibit creativity or like in what he thinks about open sourcing and things like that. He draws the line of where something should be open source and where something should be patented by, and I forget, I've tried to just look up his exact words, but um, he said that there are certain things that are so common that are just so commonly understood, so easily um, can come about. And that should be shared and that should be open source. But what should be patented are those those surprise moments where it's like something that, that totally has shifted, you know, that emerges that is like, whoa, no one's ever really thought of it that way.
2: Like creating a vacuum without a bag. Exactly, exactly.
0: <laughs> so, you know, I mean, you can, you can create, um, you can patent like the bristles, you can patent the handle and all this stuff, but the handles are common. You know that a vacuum is going to need a handle. But, yeah, but to have it be bag- bagless with the Vortex... That's what was the aha moment.
2: You know, my, my instinct is to agree with them. And then a million lawyers come in and say, where do you draw the line? Exactly. And they exactly. get paid to figure that out. And, and you mentioned – But you come up with
0: a legal definition of what makes an aha moment. What is an right. – Exactly. How do you define an emerged technology that, that is – so variant from from other technologies well, that are available. And
2: Dyson has the advantage of he actually deals in products that are tangible. You could feel them. You and that can is the major difference. You see how they're different. Right? And so much in what this article focuses on, is, uh, these are mainly companies that deal with the intangible, with code. Uh, one patent troll in particular, uh, one of the most notorious, is called LoadSys. Uh, I talk about them in the article. They own four patents, but they really only use one. Mm-hmm. And that one patent they got is to buy something while you're already in an app. And think about what you do every day. Let's say you play Angry Birds. Like, I've never played it, or I haven't played it recently, but you can probably buy a new level inside of the game, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Lodson's Patent. Oh. Hmm. Every single app. Okay, now, how they got that, how some, some patent examiner put the stamp of approval on that, that's part of what the story's about. Um, but they've used that as this big hammer to go around and just smack the crap out of companies big and small and saying, you're infringing on our patent, and either you pay us now or you go to court and you spend millions to defend yourself. So it, it Doesn't this, I mean, but it, I mean, in the, in the, in the idea of, of patents like
0: um, causing creativity, because then you feel like, like if I'm going to work on this and I'm going to invest in this, then I want to make money off of it. But right. in the, at the same time, it inhibits because how, isn't it cost prohibitive for somebody to create an app like if they're going to do sales in it cuz you have to pay. Yeah, and and, and and then down the line of all the hundreds of different people you have to pay off to do a very simple app. Right. So
2: the the guy I talked to uh, his name is Craig Hockenberry. He was just this guy working in his house in North Carolina. He owned this company that created um, I think it was I think Tweetdeck. Yeah, like one of the first Twitter apps, right? Sure. Uh, I don't know if you guys all use Twitter. I do and Yeah. It was like the first one, and it's still one of the most popular. And um, he got sued by Lotus, and for him, it was it was understandable because it wasn't just the fact that this company had gone after him; it was this psychological hit. You know, every day he'd woken up and been excited to code, which I don't know what that feeling's like, but but presumably, like
1: you do because you write. Yeah, it's It's writing. writing. Okay. There you go. All right. So
2: maybe I do, but uh, he he woke up every morning, was excited. And then suddenly someone was saying what you did infringed on us. And we're going to take you for everything you have. And he got depressed, (laughs) which we can all understand. This was a threat, not only to his livelihood, but to the thing he was passionate about. And there was a quote he had in the story. He was just like, what are we missing? What are we going to lose out on because of these threats? And it's, it's a great unknown. Now the people who, defend the patent system would say it's a trade-off because if we didn't have this people would just keep it secret so the trade-off is that they get a patent for 20 years and they have to reveal what they did Mm -hmm. but that's i don't know it's just kind of a weak argument because um your whole point is to get a patent as broad as possible as i said before apple a rectangle with rounded corners that covers so many things right that it's like god i don't need you to make that public dude like i I could have thought of that. <laughs> sure, sure. So
0: it, it That one reminds me of um, Harley-Davidson, um, which I think they finally, it was like a 15-year battle to get a patent for the sound that, it, <laughs> that their V-Twin engine makes. And I think they finally, you know, because they had to show that it was distinctly different than other motorcycle sounds,
2: you know. Do you know how many patents uh, there are in macaroni shapes? No. 2,000. Really? Mostly owned by Kraft. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> It's ridiculous.
0: I mean, it obviously – that's what the – one of the interesting factors here is that it's entirely
2: ridiculous.
1: Right. Didn't you – this was in your article, the Amazon, right? The one – is it the, the one-clicker?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So I was in Seattle, and I was trying to find a way in to write about this story, okay? And so everything we've been talking about, it sounds kind of depressing, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, it's just like, how do you fight this? Uh, so here's like the, the happy side effect is um, – there's this company called Article One Partners, and that is a really boring name. But what they do is actually pretty exciting. Uh, so the way that you, you, you take a patent and you say this patent is worthless is by finding something called prior art. And prior art could be anything. Like if you say I, I came up with the idea of a rectangle with rounded corners, if I went to a Wired issue from 20 years ago and said, well, they had this whole, whole article about that. Well, there's notebooks. The spiral, little spiral pocket notebooks. Maybe I shouldn't keep using this Apple example just because it's so ridiculous. But yeah, so prior art is that. Like this came before, so your patent isn't valid. So Article One Partners is um, basically this lady in Boston, Cheryl Malone, who was an IP attorney. And had just seen this proliferation of patents and had just gotten... Very demoralized by it all, and thought there had to be a better way. Instead of going to court and paying all these really high-priced attorneys to fight this, um, let's use crowdsourcing. So what she did was created this website that crowdsources prior art searches. And so what that means is a company that is has been sued or is about to be sued for patent infringement, will come to Article 1 and they'll say, listen, this patent, we know it's bullshit. We we need you and your 200,000 researchers around the globe to Mm. find out why it's bullshit. These are – I mean I I will try to give you an example of how different all these people are by saying the person who's won the most money with Article 1, and that's what it is. It's a bounty system where they'll say if you find the prior art for this, you'll win $5,000 or $15,000. The person who won, who's won the most money is a laid off uh, former IT director of a private school in Canada, a housewife, uh, who just happens to have this knack for finding old issues of computer magazines at yard sales. Like, that's what she does on the weekends, and wow. she turned it into a hobby, which became the thing that made up for the, all the money she lost when she got fired. So, Article One right this was my way in to talk about who are the good guys in all this and uh you know as far as like fighting this stuff they they're the best edit um and this is another instance where i forgot your original question or like what you're saying but mm-hmm. but um they they were the ones who made me feel like there might be some hope in all this because they they'd found this niche in what i think is a very corrupt system and found a way to not only exploit it but to make money for themselves and to make money for, quote, unquote, average people. And kind of take it down a notch. Take it down a notch. And it's, you know, the the Cold War analogy we use is these big companies have money to buy patents or to license patents. Uh, The stat that I I throw out is that, and the New York Times is the one who got this, last year was the first in the history of the companies in which Apple and Google spent more on patent acquisition than they did on R&D. So when you talk about innovation, is it stifling innovation? I, you know, how can you argue with that stat? Right. Like, how, how could you even possibly say it isn't having some effect? So the Cold War is U.S. and Russia buying all these enormous weapons to point at each other and tiny little uh, Eastern Bloc countries getting caught in the middle, which are companies like Craig Hockenberry's in North Carolina. And then you have someone like Article 1 who has found a way to defuse all these bombs, mm-hmm. if I can – spread the analogy as thin as possible (laughs) um it works works. and you know it was um it was a great way to tell a story through people who you actually kind of care about and like root for because you know these giant faceless corporations and lawyers i could give a shit about sure um i don't i don't want to write about them so anyway it's i think it's fascinating um and Again, when I tell people, please don't close your eyes, <laughs> like, yeah. I need 30 minutes to explain why it might matter. But it's this whole invisible world that you don't see. Right.
0: And so, I mean, it's a long-term solution to reform patent law. to I mean.
1: It seems like in, the, in from from the story, this is just what I pulled up. Because mm-hmm. the changes in the patent system really, or how we got to this point happened with this uh, appointment of the special court. Has a lot yeah. to do with, has a lot to do with there. So there would have to be. Uh, some judicial reforms. There would have to be new uh, precedents set at that level.
2: So the uh, so last year, uh, Congress passed the American America Invents Act, and for people who believe that the patent system isn't that badly damaged, this is like this is the thing that's going to help fix it. Mm-hmm. For people who believe it's very damaged, they're, they're skeptical, as they should be. Um, none of, most of the reforms haven't even been enacted you know, in, in the grand way of Washington and Congress. The stuff like, doesn't take effect for another couple of years. So we have no idea. There are lots of arguments on one side that um, this is gonna help, and that doing things like building satellite offices and attracting um, more patent examiners and being able to keep them longer um, is going to help things, and it might. I have no idea. Um, if you like to tell stories, it's a lot less interesting to like predict the future and like what it, what's going to fix something and what isn't. I mean, this has been around for 200 years. There's always been problems with it. Uh, it's never going to be fixed. People are always going to be bitching about it. Um, you and I, you, know, you talked about Dyson and tangible things that people can understand. For the first, I think, 40 years of its life, the patent office was in this... Big building, and they would actually require that inventors build prototypes. You had to build it before you could get a patent. The problem, and why they stopped doing this, is they ran out of space, and the place where they kept the prototypes, which were mainly made of wood, kept catching on fire. So you know right. it, that, of course, that system now wouldn't work because how do you build a prototype of an app? Or I mean, I guess you can. You, sure, you do. show yeah. it to prototype
1: them. apps all the time. Yeah, yeah, I guess
2: there would be no storage issues. Maybe That's they right. should go back to that, but. There have always been issues. People have always had problems with the patent system, and they're going to continue to. Um, my hope, and I guess the hope of some of the people, is that these non-government interventions, uh, these private sector stuff like Article 1, where you give someone an incentive to fix it, will help. Sure.
1: I have uh, I have one question that uh, is actually from a friend of mine who uh, used to work in tech transfer at some pretty big schools. Um, and. I, I sent him your article because I knew he'd be interested in reading it mm-hmm. and uh, asked him, you know, if, if you were interviewing Caleb, what would you ask him? And he, he wanted to know if you came across in your research at any point. Um, are, are there any uh, industries or product sectors where litigation isn't an issue?
2: Yeah. Um, God, it's going to take me a minute to think of it. There are some people. Okay. So the pharmaceutical corporations, they're they're, they're cool. <laughs> they think this works.
0: Wow, Uh, they like uh, they're super secretive, though. I mean, they they, they they, wouldn't want to patent something because then they're revealing their.
2: No, but they do. They do all the time because they get that twenty-year window where they can just make all their money back. But once it's released,
0: I guess. Yeah, I mean, 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 they they would patent like a product more than they would the
2: processes
1: or the design. Yeah, but
2: you know, so here's the difference: is that a a pharmaceutical company, if they want a new drug, this is years of work, millions of dollars in research if I want to make a new app, I could do that in my basement in 15 minutes. maybe, right. And I could copy someone. Right. So uh, I, I was talking to one um, professor who uh, said she was at a conference. Uh, she was, I guess at like the dais or a table in the front of the hall. And there were representatives of all these different industries talking about patent law. And someone asked like, who, ha- who here has a problem with patent law? And like the, the, all the pharmaceutical guys were like, we're cool. Like we're, <laughs> <laughs> we're fine. And like all the tech guys were like, talking over each other. So if you work in an industry where like the, the price to, to get in is so high and requires right. so much work, I think it really does work for you. You know, the patent system doesn't need a complete overhaul. That's why I, I focused on the high tech world, but it, it definitely needs some response to changing technology. Um, but yeah, I mean the drug makers, they love this and, and it, it, you could make the argument that it's good for everyone. They make things public, so the generic comes out eventually. Um, it, they m- make their money back; they get to pay their people, and uh, eventually, people get really cheap drugs. So, I yeah. think it's working there.
1: Yeah, that sounds reasonable, especially when it comes to something like design. I mean, that's essentially what we're talking with with the Apple. Yeah. you know, it's like this is not it's not product it's design
2: right and i'm forgetting that there's uh, two basic categories of patents Uh, one even might be called the design patent but yeah that that's that's where people have the problem
1: yeah that makes sense well thank you josh do you have any more questions
2: not right now all right
1: (laughs) i will i'll be full of
0: them in about 20 minutes
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're going to wrap this up and get into some love and hate. But before we do that, Caleb, um, because we talked to you about uh, so many things today, but, I'll, uh, you know, if people, uh, if any of our listeners are wanting to um, follow some of your work, I, I uh, you mentioned Grantland before. Mm-hmm. Um you blog there regularly, yes? Yeah. Right. Uh,
2: that rela- Well, that relationship just started two weeks ago. But, oh. um, yeah, I think that... I, you know, if you want to follow anyone, follow their Twitter feed, and it's just my name. But yeah, I, I've been able to write for um, Bloomberg Business Week now uh, for featurey stuff, and Grantland is like side sports things, and uh, and hopefully within a couple months more magazines. But yeah, I mean if you follow my Twitter feed, yeah. you probably get more than you want.
1: No, that's <laughs> so. good. It's and and C A L E B H A N N A N. That's right. All right. Well, thank you. Let's let's do some love and hate. Josh, I'm going to throw a pitch to you first. Um, Why don't you start us off?
0: I'm going to love on Masterpiece Delicatessen mm. in Laura Highlands because they have a pork roll, egg, and cheese.
1: Oh, they have pork, pork roll? Pork
2: roll, egg, and cheese?
0: Yeah. It's a New Jersey breakfast.
2: Oh. Yeah, you guys... Sandwich. You guys put everything on sandwiches. Did you go to Rutgers?
0: I did not. So you, I grew up in... A, Scataway, where Rutgers is, but so the grease trucks, the grease trucks, yeah. Yes. Have you ever cats. order the fat bitch? The fat bitch, yes. the fat slut. <laughs> 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 you, you These you are sandwiches.
2: Yeah, you haven't lived until you hear a Middle Eastern man at two in the morning yelling out "Fed Beach." Yeah, <laughs> like, it's true. It's, it's true. true.
0: <laughs> I think they moved them. I think they got evicted. The, the really? grease trucks. Yeah. Well, they,
2: they look like horrible like grease fire traps. I know,
0: and, and it's really it's when you take out a t- out of towners, you know, it's intimidating. Because they are, they're, they like, yell at they're you. very rude, you know, a Middle
2: Eastern. That's right. what every city should have, though. Chicago's yeah. not the deep dish people yell at or the hot dog people yell at you. Right, like, Every city put you sh- in your place. Yes, yeah. You know? We had one in Seattle. Is there a Denver place that yells at you? Mm. You know,
0: there's. The, you always hear of these some- places that do it as a novelty. Mm. It's like, oh, go to this place. And it's sort of part of their brand. Yeah, yeah. But they're never really, I've gone, like, I forget which one. There's one in Four Collins I always say that. And, uh, and, the, and you, they're just the – people aren't naturally rude. They're, like, told when they're hired, like, oh, just be short and rude. With the, <laughs> because we want to give this kind of East Coast air to it. Yeah. You. And it's, it's so phony. Yeah, I mean,
2: even the one in Seattle, he wasn't rude. He just talked to you a lot and, like, right. tried to upsell you on a pickle or a cookie. Right. So <laughs> it wasn't the same. Yeah.
0: But, um, yeah, so they have a great pork, roll, well, and cheese sandwich, which is a ween song. <laughs> I don't know if you guys pork, it, roll, leg, and cheese. Oh. It is.
1: Do you, can you explain t- what pork roll is for people who haven't heard of it? Pork roll
0: is um, um, people in northern, the more wealthier area of Jersey, call it Taylor ham because John Taylor invented it. It's a, it's a breakfast. I don't even want to call it a sausage, but that's probably what it's most like. Um, and it's sliced thin. It kind of looks in the shape like Canadian bacon or something, but it's kind of sweety, soury, very salty. I've never. Um, giving it to somebody and they didn't enjoy it. It's really, it's actually pretty good. I just imagine you presenting it. Yeah, here, here you go, right. right. It's it's like gold in my family, because if anybody goes back east and they bring out pork roll, um, and there's like kind of, my mom lives in Fort Collins, there's kind of like a a tab, you know, it's that's like, like, oh, you owe me some roll. That's, <laughs>
2: that's how you guys, you, that's currency. It is kind of, it's a family. kind of
0: currency in the family, you know, and it's when you only have a certain amount, you you don't give it away, you know. It's got to be someone special to eat the pork roll. Kind of like well, the, the fact sponge. that you're telling
2: us means we're special.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I'll make it for you. It's <laughs> good. But go to ma- go to, They do a great
2: job at, at um masterpiece delicatessen.
1: Tele- yeah, they're good stuff. Yeah, Caleb, did you bring a love or hate for us, or something of both?
2: I didn't bring. I didn't bring it. I didn't really need to. Uh, the sun just. You know, if you if you ever take it for granted, <laughs> yeah. don't. You're loving the sun. Yes.
0: Yeah. I mean, and life itself.
2: I I really I can't explain the difference. Yeah. Like I, you can't see me right now. I'm I'm not like some bronze god. But oh, in right. Seattle, it's pretty much translucent. Like so. Yeah. It's it's amazing.
0: You get these Seattle people though that tell you like, don't believe it. There's actually a lot of sun here. But <sighs>
2: there's just <laughs>
0: just, but we want people to think that so they don't move here.
2: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's just, it's a great city, and that's a snobby side of the city to say, like, it's so great that people are just going right. to rush over here in a stampede. But for myself, I'm just speaking for myself, yeah, I'd like to see the sun once in 10 months, Yeah, at least.
0: Yeah, I need I it. Would not be I would get to depressed. I'd be suicidal for co myself. I can't
1: even handle it when it's two days of, without sun here.
2: Well we lived I don't know about, about what I would do. we lived about a mile from the house where he did that. Oh really? So we got to like pass it on walks. Like a uh, reminder, like this is And how you I-. can probably see the garage too. No, it's, it's it's there's it's like a park off. next to it where all these like Japanese tourists like scrawl into this park bench and there's always sad people in all black. But yeah, it's just a yeah. daily it's like a. <laughs> it's a nice reminder. You're like Yeah, this is what happens. This is what happens. Stay around well, and if you do a lot of heroin. But That's right. Right. So, yeah, don't take it for granted.
1: I I definitely don't. I'm going to hate on the Denver Post this week, which (laughs) I I usually, you know, I try to avoid hating on one media outlet, but here's why. We had this, you know, the Black Friday, the cyber – Monday, all of this this coverage, right? Which it's not news. I'm, I'm gonna. Ha- it's not news. I'm gonna also NPR. You suck for that because yeah. yours is the worst coverage.
0: They should just use what they have from last year. They could just replay what they did Ugh, last year. That's so
1: awful. But the Post was confusing me because you know I'm I'm reading it more regularly than usual, keeping up with it every day because uh, I know I'm going to be hosting this week, so I'm looking out for headlines, and I'm so confused by the headlines that they're running here. Regar- you know all about. Um, okay, this is the best Black Friday we've ever had. All of, you know, shoppers, talking to shoppers. And then a, a headline from the AP about how consumer confidence is at its lowest level in three months or something like that. And it's like, so you're telling me that everybody's out shopping, but they really hate themselves for it. Like, they, right. they no. So th- <laughs> let's, let's think a little bit more about the wire stories we run alongside of our, you know, it's, it's just confusing. Well, this is like a, a side reader. effect
2: of the guy who wanted the credit for the joke. Like, this is why you're losing readers, because you suck. Yeah, Like, you can't write a headline. Your website, is, that thing is awful. Mm-hmm. I don't even like looking at it. And you wonder why, like, a, a someone who can write a headline and, like, find the most juiciest parts of a story and put that first is beating you. Like,
1: Yeah, well, they, they, they like, of all their copy editors. So oh. that's why you see those those really terrible headlines. And also, by the way, Denver Post, if anybody's listening, um, I RSS feed you, and, like, every story's coming through about, five or six times unnecessary clogging up my rss feed Not but good. you know what
2: the problem is the internet it's, it's the, the internet, internet. yeah You're right it's it's, inter- total- it's craigslist it's ruining things <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> screw you, you guys yeah i love that screw love you old that. white-haired man telling us <laughs> that the future is what's killed you
0: i know it's it's yeah it's arrogance i'm it's glad really you brought it. some
2: hate into this love fest i know we were getting too happy
0: Right, I love the sun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was pretty bad.
1: (laughs) That was really fun. Thanks for coming on, Caleb. Thanks for having me, And that's all the love and hate we have for this week. If you'd like to share a little of your own love and hate, please leave us a brief message at 720-282-YELL. That's 720-282-9355. Our theme music is by TJ Miller from his extended play EP, and our web hosting is provided by bluechannel.com. For more information about the Denver Diatribe or any of our guests, check out our website, DenverDiatribe.com, or search for Denver Diatribe on Twitter or Facebook. I'm Vanessa Martinez. On behalf of my co-host, Josh Johnson, and our guest, Caleb Hannon, thanks for
2: listening.